Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. This is the Sunday Sermon Podcast from the Westerville Free Will Baptist Church. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Today's speaker is Mike Ellis. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Our speaker this morning is Pastor Mike Ellis, and it is an honor for us to have him with us today. Uh, he is on the pastoral staff of the Heritage Free Will Baptist Church in Columbus. And uh, Mike is husband to Sarah. And he is daddy to Chloe and Emma. And uh, we are so thankful that they are serving there at Heritage and thankful that they're here with us today. Uh, I first met Mike Ellis several years ago. And um, I got two things to tell you about him this morning. One is, he is a Buckeye at heart, even though he's not from the Buckeye State. And um, he recently, when he came on staff at Heritage, got his heart right with God and became a Buckeye, full-pledged Buckeye, and so we're glad for that. But I gotta tell you another story about Mike Ellis. I had, I had only known him for a few months, and the, we were at a national convention in Fort Worth, Texas, and we're standing outside waiting on our car to come and take us to, to get our car, and then we were going to go to lunch on Sunday afternoon. And as I'm standing there, Mike and his church, I believe you are in Alabama at the time, was serving a church in Alabama. Him and his young people and, and their van pull in, and I believe your pastor was with you as well. The pastor was in the van. They pull in, and I'm standing there, and I'm talking. He gets out of the van, and he goes, Brother Paul? I go, yeah. He goes, they're not lying when they say they make them big in Texas. And I looked at his van, and the windshield was cracked, and part of a bird was still on the windshield because they had hit a bird on the way into Fort Worth. And uh, so I don't know if it was a buzzard or not, but it was as big as a buzzard. Um, so that was, that was one of my first impressions of Mike Ellis was he killed a bird with his windshield. Um, so we're grateful to have Mike Ellis with us today. Welcome him to Westerville. Would you this morning, please? That it was a buzzard, believe it or not. Uh, we, we were driving, and my, the pastor that I was working with, Mickey Crane, and bless him and, and pray for him, by the way, he's been in the hospital for 14 weeks now. Um, he's just been in an, kind of an induced coma. Um, he, he's not doing good. He, he, went at, he wasn't doing good when I was there, but now he... Um, Oh, his spirit came. <laughs> and, uh, but no, he, he wasn't doing well when I was there, but he's, he, he retired since I left. And um, he, he went up preaching in a revival service. He, they say, they're saying he was doing more work while he was retired preaching than when he was in the church. I don't know what that means, but he was going up and he went up Sunday. He had to have people help him up to the pulpit to finish the revival service. And when he sat back down, he looked at his wife and said, Barbara, I need to go to the ER. And uh, he's just, his body, he's, 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 he's an older gentleman, his body was just weak, and uh, pray for him, pray for him. The families, they're not doing good down there. Um, but, but yes, it was a buzzard, and I remember just driving into Texas, and we'd been only been in Texas for about an hour, and the pastor sitting next to me, and all of a sudden we see some buzzards over there in the field, and they're, you know, they see us coming, so they're flying off of the field except for the one. Besides, I think I can beat this van. And uh, he goes around, and we just, we're just talking and talking, and then we just sm smashes right into the windshield. 
and just nobody talks. Everybody's just quiet in a van. And I look over to the pastor, and he's got glass in his lap, and he's just, and I look at me, and I've got glass, and we look at each other, and we just, we just shrug his shoulders. We're like, what do we say? <laughs> we just hit a buzzer. So it was an interesting, interesting experience. But I do know I'm going to take you now when I go to baseball games. <laughs> I know that for sure. <laughs> Never in my life. Uh, but uh, but I, I am excited to be here. Um, you know, you're talking about fun moments and spiritual moments. Um, I don't know what the fun moment was, chasing my kids around the convention center. That was a fun moment. Uh, my little Emma and Chloe, if you don't know them, they are wild as fire. Uh, my, my spiritual moment, though, actually did not come into a service. It actually did not happen in a service. Um, do you know the missionary, and you may, you, may, you may support them here, you may not, I don't know, um, but they were introduced, uh, Kayla and J.D. Newland. They're going to Sevierville, Tennessee. So, for those who don't know, Kayla was one of the teenagers in my first youth group when I first got out of college. And um, I remember pouring some time, me and my wife poured our lives into Kayla and, and just and loved her and Bruce, her, her father and Crystal. Um, and Crystal's passed away since, uh, a couple years ago. Um, but I remember, I remember pouring our lives into Kayla and I saw her at the National Convention this year. For the first time in years, I had seen her. Um, and I remember looking at her, and I almost began to tear up a little bit, knowing that I had a part in what she's now going to do. And I remember seeing her, and she walked up to me. She gave me a hug, smile on her face, and I gave her a hug. And I looked at her, and I said, Kayla, I am so proud of you. And I remember for the first time as a youth pastor, not as, as a youth pastor, I think will say, I'm proud of you, but be able to see, like, true fruit years later, and I just remember thinking, Lord, if I do nothing else at Nationals this year, that is it. That just, that just made my week. And um, so, but that, 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 was a, that was a blessing to me. Turn to John chapter 9 for me, if you would. Turn to John chapter 9. I began looking on, on I'm, I'm so OCD that I have on my computer a file where I've preached, when I've preached, what i preached on. And uh, I remember looking out there, and it was almost to September the 18th of 2014 since I was here last. And I preached, and I preached on the Lord is, that's my shepherd. Talking about that's my shepherd in Psalm 23. So open up version this morning, because I post the verse of the day from version to our church social media accounts, and it's Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd, I have nothing I need of. And I said, it is just ordained that this is, just, this just happened. And, uh, but I'm not preaching on that this morning. I'm preaching on John chapter 9. We are going to talk about the shepherd, but in a different way. I want to read an, an, an article, so I want you to kind of bear with me here. It's a little lengthy, but I believe it's going to get across the point of living in a hopeless generation. We are living in a hopeless generation. A 2015 article from Psychology Today says, A new study from Princeton University documents a dramatic increase in the rates of death among the middle-aged. Professor Ann Case and her colleague found that after decades of improvement, mortality had been declining consistently for about 2% a year. It actually increased by about half a percent point every year from 99 to 2013. This result startled everyone not only because the long-term trends have been an improvement, but also because researchers did find the expected improvement in each of the six other countries they examined. So in Australia, Canada, France, Germany, UK, and Sweden, everybody increased, and they were, it was a good thing. It was improved. 
only the U.S. was mortality increasing. Equally surprising, the cause of the increase of deaths were not the usual suspects like heart disease. Instead, the mortality is on the rise because of higher levels of suicide and greater numbers of drug and alcohol overdoses. Thus, people are increasingly taking their own lives or living with such reckless disregard for their health and safety that they're more than likely to die prematurely. Further, and almost as troubling, the paper also documented that the higher rates of other maladies short of death, declines in health, mental health, and the ability to conduct activities of daily living. Professor Case summarized the results are seen in by saying, more despair and worse health. Overall, the professor observed, the study illustrates the sad reality that we are observing is an epidemic of hopelessness. Another thing in New York, statistics statistics have shown that the alarming rate of students that suffer from mental health illness, according to to, to a data that was released by the mayor administration recently, 73% of public high schoolers feel hopeless and 8% of them attempt suicide every month. Major depression is on the rise among Americans from all ages, but is rising fastest among teens and young adults. New health insurance data shows. So what's behind the increase? Many people are worried about how busy they are, said Dr. Laura Williams, chief of psychiatry at Texas Children's Hospital. There's a lack of community. There's the amount of time that we spend in front of the screens and not in front of other people. If we don't have a community to reach out to, then your hopelessness doesn't have any place to go. So what do all those different articles state? We are living in a generation of hopelessness. People can't find hope. And we're going to look at a story today, and I typically don't like to go through an entire chapter because it's a lot of verses in such a short amount of time. But if you can bear with me, we're going to go through a man who is living in a hopeless situation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to preach. I thank you for this opportunity to fill the pulpit today here And Father, I pray that I may not disgrace it, but Father, I pray that your presence would be felt. Father, may you empty of my sin, fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So look in verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So that, well, there's a couple things here in the beginning of verse 1 that we kind of need to get out of the way. It says, as he was passing by. That means that what was really going on is earlier in chapter 8, Jesus was preaching the truth and the Pharisees got mad and they wanted to kill him, which seems to be a staple of his ministry here on earth. But they wanted to kill him, so they began to pick up stones and they were going to take hold of him and seize him, but he just passed right through them. And this is interesting to note, okay, because he's at the temple, when he's doing this. He's standing right by the temple when this is going on. And as he's passing by, he sees this man who is blind from birth. And as he sees this man, his disciples look at him and say, hey, um, um, Jesus, who sinned that this guy is blind? What's a pre-read to us? That's like, uh, that's a dumb question to us. But back then, this was a serious question. Because here's what happened is the, the Pharisees had created such, so many laws that interpreted off of the Old Testament that what they would do is they would say that the reason somebody was, had, had a physical deformity or blind or something like that was because either they sinned or their parents sinned and God is judging them because of it. So they asked and they said, why is this man blind? 
Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus answered, this came about so God's works might be displayed. So we're going to look at, for my first point today, there are seven subpoints, but bear with me. I know it seems like a lot. I get that. But we all have a hopeless situation every now and then. Some of you in here right now may feel hopeless in an area in your life. And I believe you're in one of these seven areas if you feel hopeless. So why was this man hopeless? Well, number one, obviously, he had a physical problem. He was blind. Some of us may feel hopeless because, uh, uh, you know, the physical problem we, we, we have. And, and, you know, I, for example, a couple years ago, I thought I was hopeless. I'm never going to lose weight. I'm just never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And I tried working out. I tried doing that. It just didn't happen. And then I went to Texas for a, for a conference. I ate something wrong, got a stomach ulcer, and lost a bunch of weight. So it didn't, didn't exactly come the way I wanted it to come, but it came. But what I'm saying is this. It, it, I, I kind of use a little bit of levity with the weight, but some of us ha- have issues, have physical issues. Sometimes it makes us feel hopeless. Maybe we don't look like certain people. Maybe we have a, a certain uh, disability that other people don't have. And there are people in our world today, in this generation, that feel absolutely hopeless because of the physical problem they have, physical issue that happened. This man had a physical issue. He was blind. He couldn't see. And to us, that says, okay, well, well, there's a lot of stuff we can do with, you know, blind people have now that we, they didn't have Braille back then. Understand that. They didn't have different things that, that would be able to help them. If they were blind, they were just, they were, they were physically had to rely on somebody else for their daily living. They had to sit by the temple. They could not be allowed into the temple. They had a physical, he had a physical problem. Some of us here may have physical problems. Our world is full of people who are hopeless because they have a physical problem. Our world is hopeless, number two, because they have a social problem. Look at this man in verse two. He says, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, he was born blind. He had a, he had a social problem. He couldn't be around other people. He couldn't be around the, 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 the daily living of what was going on. He couldn't be in the temple. He couldn't be you know, with his friends because nobody wanted to be seen near the beggar. He had a social problem. Teenagers in here, some of you may have a social problem at school. You just don't fit in. That happens. Some of us at work, we don't fit in. Some of us in our world, we just don't fit in. And our world has a social problem. Our world has social issues. And we may think, oh, that's just, you know, that's, they'll get over that. You know, it only makes them, you know, it'll make them tougher. Here's the thing, and the reality is we're, we have a generation of millennials and younger that to them, social life, if they don't have it, leaves them hopeless. There's no hope for me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody listens to me. Nobody wants to know what I think. They get a bunch of likes on Facebook and Instagram, but in real life, nobody talks to them. This guy had a social issue that was going on. He had a social problem. Keep, if we keep reading in verse 4, we already read verse 3. Verse 4, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In verse 6, and he, after he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on this guy's eyes. I think why this guy was hopeless too is, I believe, number 3, he had a mental problem. I want you to think about this a second. Nobody would talk to him. He had to rely on other people. That was constantly going through his mind. If I could just see, I could get a job. I could do something. Not only that, but now you have the closest people to Jesus are saying, Lord, did this guy sin or did his parents sin? That's going through his mind. Not only that, but now you have this guy who spits on the ground 
makes some mud and puts it on your face. I can't see enough anyways. And now you're putting mud on my face. I could just believe that that's what's going through his mind. What is, I don't know what's going on. I, I got this guy. Some of us in our world is, and I read some articles earlier, but our world is dealing with mental problems right now, mental issues. People are depressed. People are have anxiety. People have stress, whether it comes from the busyness or family problems or situations going on. People are loaded down mentally, and it leaves people in a hopeless state. That's the kind of world we're living in. A little bit of interlude here. So Jesus looks at this guy in verse 7 and says, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sin. So he left and washed and came back seeing. So the pool of Siloam was created as a source of water back in the Old Testament that ran under the city during Hezekiah's reign. So there would be water in the city. The pool was used as a place for ceremonial cleansing. So here's what would happen. The priest would have to go down daily to this pool, get a jar of water, and bring it to the temple. Now, that sounds easy, right? We can go out here to get a hose, put water in it. But here's the difference about the Pool of Siloam. The temple was on a hill. The pool was down at the bottom. And it was a very steep hill. So the priest would have to walk down the steep hill every day, get water, and go back up to the temple just for the offering sacrifice. So Jesus looks at this guy who is blind, who now has mud on his face, and says, I need you to walk down this steep hill and get some water and wash in that pool. Well, Jesus, do you understand he's blind, right? That's a very steep hill. He's got nobody to help him. He's leaning on walls getting down. And then you're telling him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, the word wash does not mean just go down there and put some water in his face. That means, dude, get in the pool. Wash. Kind of like Naaman with the leprosy. He said wash. Now, that would have given him some issues because he's washing in a ceremonial pool. That would have made the priest mad. I, don't you just love when Jesus makes the priest mad? I, I love those passages in the Bible. So he walks down the long path to get to the pool from the Temple Mount. See, this pool held no healing power. It was just his obedience to Christ that brought this man healing. So he goes down to the pool, his neighbors and those who had seen him before. Uh, um, so he says in the end of verse 7, I'm sorry. So he left and washed and came back seeing. It wasn't the pool that gave him the healing. It was the fact that he was obedient to Christ in his blindness. He says, you may have just put mud on my face, but I'm going down because that's what you told me to do. Go and wash. J.D. Greer says, in other religions, acceptance is rewarded for obedience. In Christianity, obedience is the response to that acceptance. We want to obey because we are accepted by him. We want to obey because we are accepted by him. In every other religion, it says you are rewarded by, you know, you are rewarded, you are accepted just because of the things that you can do. No matter things that you can pile up in life, they cannot get you to heaven. It is only through obedience in Christ. So let's look at verse 8 now. He says, His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who was used to sit begging? Some said, He's the one. Other people said, Nah, but it looks like him. He kept saying, No, I'm the one. So they asked him, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, This man called Jesus made some mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went in and washed and received my sight. Where is he? They asked. He said, I don't know. He said, I don't know. This man was hopeless because he had a skeptic problem. 
Everybody was skeptical. They said, are, are, are you sure that, you're, that this, this is the guy? Oh, no, it must be his cousin or it must be his twin. He, they, he's not the same guy. It can't be the same guy. He's, you know, he's, he used to be the guy that was blind and begging. It can't be him. You ever had those times where nobody believed you? You try to do what's right. You try to live for what's right. You try to do it and then nobody believes you. You have that skeptic problem. You, 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 you preach Christ. You try, to, you try to sing about him, but nobody believes you that you're different. Nobody believes that you're changed. Or maybe all around out there in this world, people never even consider you. We're living in a world where people feel like everywhere they, every time they say something, somebody's always after them. See, here's the big one. Verse 13, they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. You see, back then, when you have a miracle had taken place, you had to go to the Pharisees, the heads of the church, the head of the temple, so they could prove that it really was a miracle and that you could come into the temple now. So the day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath day. Now, that's very important. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees says, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. So here's what had happened. This man is brought before the Pharisees, and they said, how did this happen? Typical question, how did this happen? He made mud. This man named Jesus made mud. He put it on my eyes. I go, and I can see. Well, the Pharisees said, we don't believe he was really from God because he worked on the Sabbath day. Now to us, this is ridiculous. But they had such a yoke of bondage. You remember that verse in the Bible where Jesus says, it's coming to me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your my yoke upon me, upon you and learn of me. You know what that means? That means that the Pharisees were so heavy on the people on how to live right that there was no way to really get to heaven. They would, they would some, some historians and slash rumors tell you that if you were to light a certain amount of candles and put out a certain amount of them, you were working on the Sabbath and breaking God's law. That's how of, of, of a yoke and, and a bondage these people were under. So he, they say, well, this man couldn't have been from God because he spit on the ground and he made mud with his hands. He couldn't have been from God because he, he was working on the Sabbath. God would never have worked on the Sabbath. And he, so they asked him again, they said, what do you say about him? Who was he that opened your eyes? I said, I, I don't know. I could see, and it, it was Jesus. So he had a church problem. We have a world out there who the one reason they don't come into the church is they feel if they come into church, people will judge them instead of accept them and love them and teach them about Christ. I had a buddy of mine when I worked at Old Dominion a few years back um, before I came over at the church. I worked at Old Dominion, and I worked with two guys. And um, so one of them was just a typical guy like me. He's just a southerner. He's, he's, just, he's just a guy. The other guy was a little different. The other guy that came in, his name was Vern. And Vern had skull bandana on, earrings in his tongue, earrings in his ears, tattoos all over his body with skulls, completely, completely dressed in black, skulls everywhere. I mean, he was, his truck had skulls all over his truck. He was that kind of guy. So he says his daughter sang in a Christmas play one time at church. And I, I asked him, I said, Vern, I said, let me ask you a question. Do you ever go to church? He said, I did. 
he said, I went one time. I had never been to church before, and I went one time into the church doors. He said, I walked in looking for something. He said, as soon as I walked indoors, he said, an older lady met me back in the back, and she looked at me, and she says, I'm glad you're here, but you can't come in here dressed like that. You have to go home and change first. He says, I walked out of that church, he said, and I have not set foot in church since. And I began to think about that, and I said, I said, Vern, I said, man, I am so sorry that happened to you. I said, that, that, that should have never happened. I said, you ought to be able to come into a church no matter what you look like because God didn't care what you look like. God wants your heart. He looked at me, he said, Mike, you're different. He said, when you first saw me, he said, and I knew you were a preacher coming in, he said, I thought you were going to just judge and condemn me. He said, but you've been here over a year. He said, you have yet said anything negative, but you loved me. I said, because that's what I want you to know, Vernon. I said, I want you to know Christ loves you. And to this day, we, I may not see him every day, but to this day, we still text. You know why? Because I'm trying to plant seeds in his life. This guy had a church problem. He wasn't accepted in church. We're living in a generation that they don't feel like they're accepted in church. They don't feel like they, they belong. The church is always out to get them. The church is always to condemn them. The church is always says, you can't do this, you can't do that. Now, are there things that we disagree with? Yes, there are, and there ought to be things we stand against. But when, we first, but when they first come in our church, they do not be the first thing they hear is, well, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. When they say, hey, how can Christ show you his love today? Let me show you how Christ loves you. And then you have to catch the fish before you can clean the fish. All right? This guy had a church problem. He wasn't allowed in the temple because he was blind, because he had a problem. So somebody thought he had sinned. He couldn't come to church. We're living in a world that is hopeless because they feel like they cannot be in church. Look at verse 18. He says, The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight, until they summoned his parents of the one who received the sight. So they said, We don't believe you, so we're going to call your parents to make sure you really were blind. They asked him, and, it, and by the way, this is funny, because this guy stood outside the temple gates every single day, and they still didn't believe it was him. They had to get his parents. So they said to them, is this your son, the one you say was born blind, and then does he now see? We know this is our son, and he was born blind, his parents answered, but we don't know how he sees, and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Now, when I always first read that, I thought that was his parents being very sarcastic to the Pharisees, just saying, look, ask him, he's old enough. But when you start to dig into why they'd said this, it's because in verse 22, his parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews. Since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents asked him. He's of age. So here's what would happen. If they confessed that Jesus really did heal their son they would not be allowed back into the temple to make offerings and sacrifices for their sins. And to a Jew, that's the only way to be right with God. So they said, we're not going to answer, you ask him. We don't want this to affect us. We're kind of going to push him out to the side. We're going to let him do his own thing. You know why our world feels hopeless? Do you realize we're living in a world where there's a lot of kids and a lot of people that are around my age, and I'm 31 years old, but there's a lot of people around in the millennial range and younger that they have some serious family problems. They're growing up with one parent. They're growing up with maybe no parents. 
They're living with grandma and grandpa. We have kids, right? I have kids right now that they're living in my church, that they live with their grandma and grandpa. Their parents' mom's not even in the picture. I have one kid right now that his mom works downtown, if you know what I mean. I have a couple kids who don't even know who their dad is. See, we're living in that kind of world, and it's more prevalent now than it's ever been. And they feel hopeless because they have no family to turn to. See, this guy had a family problem. His own parents didn't want him. Some of you may come from a family where your own parents didn't even want you. Your own parents don't even care about you. This guy had that problem. We, uh, I had to really take a look at this sermon over this last, this, this last while and really begin to think in my life, have I been there for my daughters like I should? Or am I constantly on my phone? See, just because we are physically there does not mean we're actually there. And our kids are being brought up in a world where sometimes we're not physically there. I mean, we're physically there, but we're not really there with them. That's going to point me to put something down and say, I'm going to spend some time with them. I'm going to spend time with them. But this guy has some family problems. Some of you have some family problems. We're living in a world that has family problems. And when they come into church, they ought, to, they ought to be able to be here and say, hey, let me show you who is a fa- who can be a father to you, a brother like you've never known in your life. Let me show you about that person. Let me tell you about him. He will always be there. He will never leave you, and he won't forsake you. They need something. This man had some family problems. He, 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 and that's what leaves people in a hopeless state. Well, let's go to finally verse, I mean, number 7, verse 24. So a second time, they summoned this man again who had been blind and told him, Give glory to God because we know that this man is a sinner. Talk about Jesus. He answered, Whether or not he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Already told you, he said, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? They ridiculed him. You're that man's disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. In verse 30, this is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person being born blind. If this man were not from God, he would not be able to do anything. You were born entirely a sin, they replied, and are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. Let me explain what's going on here. So they brought this guy back to in front of them. And they looked at him and says, give God the glory. Say that Jesus is a sinner. Because see, they still believed in God. They just didn't believe Jesus was the son of man. So they said, give God the glory and just say that this guy's a sinner. And he says, look, guys, I don't care if he's a sinner. I don't care if he, if he got drunk this morning. I don't care. He said, all I know is this morning I was blind, and now I'm standing in front of you, and I can see what you're wearing right now. I can finally see again. And that, that, that's amazing. And they asked him, how, how did he do it? How did he open your eyes? And they're almost ridiculing him. They're asking him the exact same question he's already answered, and he says, I've already told you. He said, but you didn't listen. You just want to hear it again, or do you really want us to become his disciples? What's going on? And they looked at him and says, and they begin to ridicule him in verse 28. And they said, you're that man's disciples. You follow the sinner. 
You follow the ones that's doing the wrong thing, but we, we are Moses' disciples. We follow the law. We are pious. We are great. We follow the law to a T. We are Moses' disciples. And this, is, this may seem unusual to us, but what they're saying is we follow the one who gave us the law because they didn't believe Jesus was God, that he had come to fulfill the law. So they said, we follow the one who's given us the law. We follow, the one, we follow Moses. We are disciples of Moses. Because we know that God spoke to Moses. But that guy, psh, we don't know where he's from. He, he's not really God. We don't know where he's from. We don't know what's going on. And a man looked at him and said, this is an amazing thing. You don't know what he's, where he's from, but yet he's opened my eyes. How could you not? You're the church. You ought to know about this guy. You ought to believe that this guy is the Savior. Why? Because you're the church. And I can see now. He says, I, 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 just, I, don't, I don't get it, guys. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but anyone that's God-fearing does his will. And he looks at him and says, throughout history, throughout the history of Israel, no one that was ever born blind has been able to see again. No one. And, this is, and, and, and now I'm sitting here, because of this, I can see. If it weren't from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. He wouldn't be able to do anything. And they looked at him, and they said, you're a sinner. You were born entirely of sin, and who are you to teach us? And they threw him out. They said, get out of the temple. You're not allowed back in here. How heartbroken must this man have been? See, he had a status problem. He couldn't, he couldn't hold positions in the church he could never have learned the law, and that's why they ridiculed him. Because he, had a, because he was blind, he could not be a Jewish boy that would be able to go and learn the law. He had to just hear what people were talking about as they left the temple. And all this man had, had no status. He was the poor. He was the homeless. He had nothing else. And we have a world out there of people who are poor, who are homeless, and who are hurting. And they're looking for something. You see this guy's problems describe at least one point in your life that you've had. This guy's problem describes at least one thing that's going on in our world today. He had a physical problem. He had a social problem. He had some mental problems. He had a skeptical problem. He had a church problem, a family problem, and a status problem. All we know is this guy's deck was stacked against him. He had nothing. And much less now, they threw him out of the temple. And they pretty much said, you cannot come back into the temple again. You're almost banned for life, is what they were telling him. So they threw him out. I love the second point. Because here it is. It's just verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. You see, you may think you're thrown out in this world. You may think nobody cares about you. Let me tell you something. Jesus hears when the world casts you out. He's not deaf. He hears you. And he hears that they had cast him out. And when he had found him. You see, Jesus just doesn't hear that you're having problems. Jesus comes pursuing you. See, this world needs to know that when they're cast out by us, 
by the world, by, by their family, by problems going on, when they are, when they are hopeless, and they are living in this hopeless generation, that there's nothing there for them, they need to know, they need to hear that, hey, there is somebody who is hearing your cries, searing, hears, hearing you cry out to him, crying out for help, and he is madly pursuing you, and he loves you, and he cares about you. So the verses that go with this in John 10 it says the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. He says, I have come so that they might have life and have it in abundance. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Psalm 139, 1-4, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight when you are singing. Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Romans 5.1-2, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of our God. Isaiah 40, 28 says, do, not, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint of weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. Luke 15, 4-6, What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the one until he finds it? And when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home and calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice for me, because I have found my one lost sheep. Show me a sign in, verse, in Psalm 86, 17. Show me a sign of your goodness. My enemies will see and be put to shame, because you, Lord, have helped and comforted me. Psalm 99, the Lord is a refuge for the persecuted, a refuge in times of trouble. In Psalm 116, 1 and 2 says, I love the Lord because he has heard me, my appeal for mercy, because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. Over and over and over again in the Bible, if you are hopeless today, you feel like nobody cares about you, your family's kicked you out, you can't make the friends, your society has just thrown you out, you just feel absolutely hopeless in your mind, I can't get over this problem in my mind, I can't get over this problem physically that I've got, it doesn't matter who you are, Christ is the good shepherd, and when he hears you have a problem, he chases you, and he pursues you. Why? Because that's what he's promised to do. He is a refuge when you're persecuted, a shelter in times of trouble. We are living in a world that needs to know that is in a hopeless state, that they, when the, everything else just casts them out and the world has nothing for them, there is hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. I tell my teenagers all the time, because I know some who need Christ, and I look at them all the time and say, listen, just give him a try. I promise you're not going to return the sample. You're not going to return it. You're going to want to keep, you're going to want to stay there. You're going to want to be with him. Why? Because he brings the hope that you need. In church, he brings our hope. And he brings the hope that they need to hear about. And they need us to tell them. So Jesus, when he had heard they threw the man out, he found him. 
And when he asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? I think it's funny because remember the last time this guy has heard this, has seen Jesus, he really didn't see him. He was still blind. He had mud on his face. So he didn't know what Jesus looked like. So he looks at him and they said, and, and, and Jesus asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 36 says, who is he, sir? That I might believe in him, he asked. Jesus answered, you've seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And immediately he said, I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. How do I know somebody that has come to contact with hope? Number three, the response to meeting hope. What happens when you meet hope? All right. Number one, you have a desire to know him. Look look at this in verse 36. He says, who is he, sir? I might believe in him. He says, I can see now, but I have nothing still. I don't know who he was. I've been cast out of the temple. I have no hope. I can't, I can't follow the law anymore. I have no hope. You see, if you know hope, if you know this person, you desire to know Jesus Christ. If Jesus is the Lord of your life and there is no desire to learn his word, to stay in his book, then you may never, never have truly met hope. Because when you meet that hope, that sweet savor that is Jesus Christ, you can't help but know more about him. See, this man had a desire to know who Jesus was. What else is a response? There's a belief in him. So he says, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? I love Jesus' response. Jesus could have kept going around and, you know, chase, chasing the bush and chasing the tail just to kind of, you know, really make this guy work for it. No, he doesn't do that because he knew this man had been cast out. He knew he had been in trouble. He knew he had been hurt. He says, you have seen him. He says, as a matter of fact, he's standing right in front of you right now. You see, when you meet hope, he says, verse 38, I believe, Lord. When you meet this true hope, not the false hope that the world offers, the false security that they offer out there, when you meet this true hope, there's a belief that there is hope. He says, I believe in him. You have a desire to know him. You believe in him. You see, the wicked, we could go all day long out there debating the world on this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. But what the world doesn't need is for us to stand up there and debate and condemn them anymore. What our world needs to hear us say is say, there is a man by the name of Jesus Christ who offers hope, who offers love, who offers security, who offers shelter, who offers peace from persecution, and his name is Jesus. Let me introduce you to him. And you know what? When they learn who Jesus is and they introduce and they become introduced to Jesus and they desire to know him and they believe on him, God will clean them up. We can't do it to a non-believer. Why? Because they don't know Jesus. You let God do the cleaning. There's a belief on him. He believed in him. There's also a submission and a worship to him. He says, I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. This simply means this man, as soon as he recognized who, that this was Jesus, I believe, and he worshiped. That means he fell face down and said, I want to worship this guy. And church, that ought to be our response. Our, our, our world is tired of seeing false worshipers, false Christians, Our world wants to see some true, genuine, born-again believers. They're tired of wishy-washy. They want a true believer. Louis Giglio says in his book, The Air I Breathe, worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. You know what he's saying here? He says our worship is our life. Our worship in the things that we say, in the things that we do, whether in church or whether out there or in our personal time, ought to be 
expressed toward him. It ought to be glorifying and honoring to him. If you're different here than you are in the world, something's wrong. There, there's, a, there's a misconnect there. He says that your life, both personal and corporate, will be expressed to just giving God honor, giving God glory, giving God worship. So our response to meeting hope is there a desire to know him. This guy desired to know him. He, he had a belief in him, and then he had a submission and a worship to him. But Jesus isn't done. Because see, some of the Pharisees came and followed Jesus. Because you know, that's how they are. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. So some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, we, are blind. we aren't blind too, are we? Verse 41, if you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. So this can be kind of confusing. Here's what Jesus is simply saying to them. He says, see, if you truly believe that I am Jesus Christ and I can save you, he said you would be open and, and seeing just like this man right here. He says, but because you still feel like your law is what's going to save you, he says you are still blind. We live in a world that, and even in our churches, the sad thing is, in our, even in our churches, that that we, we have this feeling that if we follow this law, this law, this law, the Bible's become a list of do's and don'ts. We can't do this. We can't do that. And if we follow that, then somehow those goods will outweigh our bads. When the problem is, that's not true. That's not true. J.D. Greer says again, religion is the greatest cover-up for true repentance. We are living in churches that have religion, but no repentance. No, no repentance, but full of religion. We can follow, we can look the best, we can follow the Bible to a T, but if there's no true, genuine repentance, you don't know Christ. So he looks at these Pharisees here, he says, look, you're blind because you refuse to see what is standing right in front of you. I, I, I'm always baffled at this because, because how can you stand there in front of Christ? And, not, and see what he just did, and still reject him. Do you know why? Because they were so full of themselves and says, it's all about me, it's about what I made in the laws. If I choose Christ, I'm going to lose my status. If I choose Christ, I'm going to lose my social standing. If I choose Christ, I could lose my family. I could lose all this time I invested in something. And they said, we can't accept him because of those things. This man had no choice. He was blind. He said, I only know one way out, and it's this man, Jesus. And he stayed with Jesus. We learn about another guy in the New Testament who had everything going for him. As a matter of fact, this man had everything going for him. He was about to be the head of the Jewish council. He could have had anything he wanted. He was trained by one of the foremost leaders of the day, Gamaliel. He had, he had everything going for him. He had friends, social status. He was a, a huge proponent of the Jewish faith. And then he met Jesus. And he says, I look at all that stuff, and it's worthless compared to what I have now. Why? Because I have a hope. You see, Paul knew when he met hope. He knew that what everything he was doing was worthless. In closing, in his book, When God Was Taken Captive, Willard Aldrich quotes a story by James Deloach, which who was a senior pastor of the Second Baptist Church of Houston, about a painting he came across years ago. See, the picture depicted an old and burnt-out mountain shack. After the fire, the family's sole possession was destroyed, and the picture shows that the only the chimney remained standing. 
In front of the devastated home stood an old man dressed in his underclothes and with a small boy by his side. It was evident by the boy's distressed face that he had been crying. At the bottom of the painting, the artist added a caption with the words he believed the old man was saying to the boy. The simple sentence described the man's faith and hope for the future despite his dire circumstances. It said, Hush, child, God ain't dead. Deloach recounts his reaction to the painting. That vivid picture of the burnt-out mountain shack, that old man, the weeping child, and those words, God ain't dead, kept returning to my mind. Instead of being a reminder of the despair of life, it has come to be a reminder of hope. I need reminders that there is hope in this world. In the midst of all life's troubles and failures, I need mental pictures to remind me that all is not lost as long as God is alive and in control of this world. Church, I say this because I believe it's true. We are living in a hopeless generation. Our world needs hope now more than ever. You see all the fightings, the killings, the murders, the violence, just the, the, the backlashing. Our own government can't get on the same page with each other. Church, we're fighting in our churches over something simple that it doesn't matter for eternity. We're fighting everywhere. Why? Because the world needs hope. And the problem is we have not truly grasped the fact that Jesus Christ is the only hope. There's only one name that can bring hope, and that is Jesus Christ. Are we doing our part to spread that hope to them? Teenager, if you're in school, are you doing your part to spread that hope in your school? Because if that rate was correct, if 8% of high schoolers in the state of New York are committing suicide, are trying to commit suicide every month. That's a staggering rate. You think about it, that's just around 5,000 to 5,500 teenagers every month are attempting suicide in high school. What are we doing? We can come to church on Sundays, but if we're not reaching our hope out there, if we're not sharing it out there, what's the point? Or are we, and I say this as we, because myself, am I too proud to wear my church clothes, to wear, to, 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 to look in the Bible and follow my rules and laws that I'm forgetting. There's a world out there that would, God will take care of this, that I just need to show him the love of Christ and the hope that's found in him. Thank you once again for downloading today's podcast of the Sunday Sermon. And once again, if you would just be so kind to rate and comment on this podcast that will help us to become more discoverable in the podcast universe. And until next week, may God bless you. May you have a great week. Thank you.